Did you know that an infection in a child presents itself differently than when you're older? In fact, you might not even know somebody's sick when they're older. This show's all about germs and infections. Keep those little boogers out of your house. Stay tuned. You might be surprised. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your M.O. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight. There is a better road ahead. Hello, everybody. It's Nancy May once again from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success or just plain old Elder Care Success because we want to do this right. Got it, right? <laughs> I said, there, there's no such thing as doing things bad, but we want to do things well. My guest here today is Diana Cervantes, who's been involved in the public health aspect or world for over 17 years. Her focus is actually on disease epidemiology. Now, I have to admit that that took me a little while to practice epidemiology. I've gotten it pretty good down, but um, it's... You know, my I trip over my face, over my tongue, actually, sometimes, maybe my face too. But um, anyway, she has worked in a, as an epidemiologist in the local state, at the local state levels, also in public health as a microbiologist, and in infection prevention. She's done this both in large acute care facilities as well as smaller medium-sized facilities. She is also an assistant professor and director of MPH epidemiology. Epidemi- there I go, epidemiology program at UNT, that's um, University of North Texas Health Service Center in Fort, Fort Worth, Texas. I'm even tripping over that one today. So excuse me, folks. Her focus areas have also included epidemiology, as I said before, person-centered care, and infectious disease prevention and control measures in nursing facilities. She's also an infection control long-term care expert and a volunteer ombudsman. If you don't know about ombudsman, we've done that in previous shows, and I will put a link to that particular show because I think that's a really important factor for us all to know about the value of ombudsman and how we can use them and how they can help us and those that we're dealing with. But on that note, Diana, thank you for joining us here today. I'm glad you're with me. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And what you sound, what you said sounded so fancy, but really all I do is try to control infections in places. And then I try to teach uh, my students how to do the same thing, right? We need that to keep going. So that's basically what I do. So we are our folks don't die because of some nasty bug that's running around, correct? Yeah, exactly. So we can just you know, do the best that we can to stop the spread and at the same time, make sure that people are having good quality lives while we're doing it. Can we just first jump into this whole aspect of infection control and what's involved? Because we know when things are clean because they smell clean, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the threat of infection is gone because it looks pretty and it smells clean. Is that correct? That's true. It's, uh, you know, whenever there are telltale signs, even in our house or even when you go out to a nursing home or assisted living, whatever it may be, there are some telltale signs that things could be more, I guess, conducive to seeing 
transmission of microorganisms, right? Those bad bugs nobody wants. What does that look like? Because we can't really see these things with our naked eyes. One of the things, especially if you have home health care people coming in, you want to make sure that things are organized and not cluttered. When you start having clutter and stuff, it's just more likely that people aren't going to do the basic things that you need to to control infection, infectious diseases and control those microorganisms. So, you know, not being, being able to even wash their hands. So in our own homes, it's hard to say what it is that is like it has germs or not, because really our home is, it's pretty much full of our germs all the time, right? We have good germs. We have, yeah. you know, we have bad germs too. You know, we want to make sure we're doing basic cleaning. We are doing those general things that we do, wiping down the surfaces and cleaning our things and keeping things less cluttery because then it's easier to clean those things. Now that's, of course, lots of times easier said than done, especially when you're dealing with somebody who is older and their home becomes their something that's not just their very personal space, but those things that that keep all their memories. And so they start to have more and more things. One of the things I always tell people is, you know, make sure you are just doing daily cleaning. It, but you have to definitely balance that with the things that people cherish. As we get older, we cherish those things. We start thinking more about how we lived our lives, our memories, and how important those things are to us because we're no longer thinking about, we don't think about, oh, well, you know, I've got this career and I'm going to move up in my career ladder. You don't have those things anymore. So those things are still very precious to you. So just making sure as much as you can to try to keep those things organized so you can Make sure people, if they come to the house, they're able to say, hey, you know, there's hand sanitizer here. I'm going to use it. I know everybody gets tired of the hand washing, the hand hygiene toss, but it is, it really is very important. That's the number one thing that you can do to prevent infections is making sure you are just washing your hands because you're, again, your environment, it's going to have germs, especially your own home. It's keeping it clutter-free, doing some basic cleaning, surface cleaning, and again, making sure you're balancing that with how Precious people think of those things, those memories in their homes. Yeah, well, we don't need to live in a bowl of Lysol or right. <laughs> or hydrogen peroxide or or bleach necessarily because, oh, God. Yeah, know, no. You, you go into a facility like that and all you do is you smell this stuff and it makes me nauseous personally. I'm not sure how good the smell of that stuff really is. It masks odor, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's clean from yeah. surface perspective, right? Right. So like if you, let's say you go into a nursing home or an assisted living and you notice things, just things that aren't clean, because the first thing you have to look for before you even think of disinfecting germs is, is it actually clean? Things they're using a stethoscope or they're using a blood pressure cup. Does it look dirty and dingy? Because you really can't disinfect mm. things that aren't clean. So that's the first thing you want to look for. Things clean. Just like wiping your watch. If somebody's going to take mom's heart rate and listen to it, do they wipe off the stethoscope before they use it? I would imagine. Yeah, so just... exactly. Basic things. Are they wiping that off? Or again, even floors. Are, they, are, is, are the floors clean? Are things clean? Because again... You can't, sometimes people think, oh, I'll just spray Lysol on everything, or I'm going to spray Clorox on things, but that doesn't work if things aren't clean. So that's the first thing you need to look for. Do things look clean in that facility? Are the walls cleaned? Are things generally clean? Or do they look like they're in order? Because I know even myself, when I go to facilities, that's the first thing I'm going to look for. Yeah. I'm looking around. Do things look like they're not cluttered? Um, one of the things I look for, too, is whenever I see tray tables. That's, to me, a biggie. Because those tray tables get touched so much. Is it being cleaned? Is it being wiped down? If I go to see a resident one day and they've got, you know, stuff all over the tray table, okay, I kind of keep note of it. 
if I come the next day and I'm still seeing some of the same food remnants or it just hasn't been Ooh. wiped down, that is a telltale sign that that's not a regular cleaning schedule going on. That's one of the things you really want to be on top of whenever you're talking about assisted living or nursing homes. Are they doing regular routine cleaning? We assume that they're going to be they're clean and safe because, you know, safety, the first thing we probably look at is, you know, are there tripping hazards? That's sort of the natural inclination, what's physically in the way of something that's going to cause a fall or an injury. But we don't realize that germs simple germs that actually can sometimes keep us healthy because if we're too sanitary, we're not exposed to certain things, growing up at least, and that those little hidden things can cause major, major issues as we get older. And the spread of that that problem on a skin surface where there might be a lesion or something happens a lot more quickly in our system when we're older or when mom or dad older. One of the things I have to share, though, and you probably would, I'm going to guess you could agree with me. If not, please chime in and say, <laughs> no, Nance, you're wrong. Bingo. When most people sign up for assisted living or independent care, the contract will say you get your linens changed two or three times a week. It's usually, I think, twice a week or something like that. And they do cleaning of the rooms. Well, cleaning to most of them means bringing in a little Swiffer and dusting and in and out in a vacuum. That's not necessarily cleaning and changing out the linens and changing the beds doesn't mean that it's clean either. Like you could have, I'm sorry to say this, but like poop happens, right? Right. right. <laughs> and, and then like, how do you know? I mean, if mom or dad or whoever is there is, is having incontinent issues and they're only changing the bed sheets like once or twice a week, you got a problem. Like, I, I want to walk in and give me the black light, you know, <laughs> type of scenario, like black light everything. But um, that's, that's also not, well it's, well, it's funny that you should actually mention that, though, because really, like I always say, the first thing you want to do is look, is it, are things clean? Because if things aren't clean, then pretty much everything after that is not happening. Because the steps are really, you got to clean something, then after it's clean, you can disinfect it. Now, there's some things like wipes, you know, we're used oh, to Oh, so I'm going to stop you there. So cleaning alone does not necessarily mean disinfecting. That's right. It does not. Ah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I learned something and I will admit, you know, I'm not the tidiest person in the world. I try, but I'm probably not as, um, cleanliness is almost as close to, well, maybe a Hail Mary, maybe not godliness. <laughs> My point. <laughs> You know, we have to separate like our own homes is where we are with our families. But when we're talking about a nursing facility, assisted living facility, we're talking about... A lot of people going in and out right, of those facilities. Right. There's a lot of people coming in and out. You know, we in our own homes share our own germs with our own family that happens. Um, when we're out in a facility, we're out in a nursing home, we're in assisted living. That's really a congregate setting. That's a group of people. Now we're talking about a whole nother level of a potential to have all sorts of microbes introduced to us. And of course, the older we get, like you mentioned, you are more susceptible. You know, your skin is so much yep. thinner. I think if anybody who's ever taken care of an older individual knows what I'm talking about. The skin is so, it's very thin. It tends to cut, get very small cut. All of those things make it to where a person who's older, it, they can introduce all sorts of microbes. The other thing is our lungs don't work the same way. We don't have cough responses right. the same way. So we are just more susceptible. So yeah, so cleaning, that's the first telltale sign. You need to look. Are things clean? If not, disinfecting means cleaning is just getting rid of the really the, the grime and just the dirt, uh -huh. the visible dirt that you see. Once that's clean and gone, then you really can disinfect. And that's using some kind of 
chemical agent so that it gets rid of a lot of the germs that are like there. Like a Clorox wipe or right. something like right. that. And yep. and a lot of times you do see like, you know, just in your own home, you see those Clorox wipes, they clean and disinfect at the same time. You know, you're kind of scrubbing, you're getting rid of that dirt and you're also making sure you're putting in that that disinfectant, that you're using that disinfectant. And that's really the same in, in a lot of facilities and assisted living. They use a lot of those wipes. But again, if you notice, I'm seeing a lot of griminess. I'm seeing a lot of, you know, yep. kind of dirtiness around. Then you can pretty much guarantee that the other, they're not doing any disinfectant. So, you know, there are a lot of germs, viruses, and bacteria that they can live on surfaces for a very, very long time. And so... Again, we're just more susceptible as we get older and we and we start bringing in more people, it becomes more and more of an issue. So that's what we have to really be aware of. So that's the first thing for sure. You know, one of the things I noticed in the care facility that my folks were in for a while is the the button on the elevator. <laughs> so there was one elevator on the second one. Uh, most people know the story. I've moved them a couple of times and moved them into a house that we got for them, which was really great. And our aides were OCD, like totally OCD on cleaning. This place smelled like petunias, like uh, like good smelling petunias, not disinfected petunias. It was really crazy. <laughs> but it was the gunk that was on the button for the elevator that always sort of skeeved me out when I was there because there's only one elevator that went up to the third floor. And every single person who came down for a meal went up that elevator and they're all touching the button how many you know times right and i don't know how many of them went to the bathroom along the way and probably didn't even touch that in be well don't get me started but i'm going to sort of jump now as to if you're in a facility just look at the elevator button if it looks disgusting and and sticky it probably has an issue and i don't think we'd ever think about that but what percentage of facilities really would you say are clean and healthy or dirty and unhealthy? I mean, do is there a statistic out there that says this is what goes on? Do they check? How do they how do they figure this out? Right. So that infection control is one of the most one of the top complaints when it comes to nursing home and even assisted living facilities. Uh, but also when it comes huh. to regulatory. So whenever regulatory authorities go in, infection control is one of the most cited issues in both nursing homes and assisted facilities, living facilities. So they should be having a routine cleaning. They should be having a schedule. And if you do notice something and you, you know, you should ask, you know, how often are they supposed to clean? Um, And how do they check that in fact cleaning is being done? Because it's not just saying they're cleaning, it's somebody really should be checking their cleaning. And it's not uncommon in some facilities and definitely in hospitals, they will check, they will actually put like a fake powder that looks like germs that gl- that glows in the dark. They don't, people don't even oh. know it. They'll put it by like the sink and they'll see our workers really going in and cleaning because they will go in with a black light. And they're like, hey, you know, the other day I put this in here to see if you would actually clean it and it's still here. So we need to work on some cleaning issues. So these are inspectors that do this with the facility or outside? Do they have outside people that come in and, and sort of control and monitor that stuff? Right. So when it comes to regulatory, so for both nursing homes and assisted living now, of course, I'm sure you've mentioned this before, nursing homes have very different regulations yep. than assisted living. Um, when it comes to nursing homes, it is at the federal level and the state level. When it's yep. assisted living, it's at the state level. Um, but they all have uh, regulators, they have people who come in and they do check to see what is going on. What are their processes? How are they doing these things? Because there are some basic infection control standards that should be should be met. Like 
yes, they're doing daily cleaning and especially those high touch things that you mentioned, those elevator buttons, the call buttons, all of those things. Are yep. they doing it? And then on top of that, what is their process in place to check that that is being done properly? That should absolutely be in place. And that's why many times with nursing facilities and, and assisted living, that's one of the top things that they're that they will be cited on is not having a process in place to check the quality of that work and making sure that's being done. Of course, that's also an issue now as it's tougher for a lot of these facilities to get decent well, I shouldn't decent. There, there are good people out there working in them, but the number of people that are leaving the healthcare or care environment is pretty significant for a number of reasons. Right. But that said, you mentioned something about nursing homes versus hospitals versus care facilities. I'm wondering, and I don't know if you have this information, during COVID, everybody was like paranoid about masks and wiping and gloves and this thing and that thing. And just because you were wearing gloves didn't necessarily mean those gloves were clean. And the list goes on. I think of like a cashier at a McDonald's who might be wearing gloves to give change, but then they have those gloves on and they're going to serve a hamburger. So like, ew, like your hands may not touch it, but there's gunk on those gloves that are still doing things. How frequently, this frequency is the right word, how lax do you think we have now become post-COVID? We've kind of gone back to the way things were pre-COVID. So um, one of the... Which was where were we beforehand? Were we like worse or, be or better? I think, I mean, I think we are somewhat better because there are more regulations. But the truth is that when it comes to nursing homes, assisted living facilities, there's some things that just work, uh, that just systematically don't work well. And just we're going to keep seeing the same repeated problems. So, for example, in the hospital you are required to have certain meet certain quality measures. If you don't meet those quality measures, guess what? The government says, uh, you know that money we gave you? We're not giving you back a certain percentage. Ooh. We're keeping that because yeah, so you didn't meet those. It hits their wallet. Right. They're like, you know, you didn't meet those quality measures when it came to infections. Uh, guess what? We're keeping that money. For nursing homes, that is not the requirement. They can volunteer to take part it's uh, in a process improvement or a uh, a type of pay for performance type of program. Hospitals are required. But it's not required. But nursing facilities and assisted living are not required. So that's one big difference. The other thing is Ooh. hospitals, they will definitely lose money if they don't meet those quality measures. They're required to do that pay for performance quality measures. Uh -huh. They have full-time people. that That is their job. Their job is to make sure that how are we preventing infections? How are we making sure that the quality of care is being done per all the standards and going above and beyond those standards? They have full-time people that that's what they do. You don't see that in a nursing home. You don't see that in assisted living facilities. So that's usually left, unfortunately, to like the director of nursing or the assistant director of nursing. And they, you know, their job is really to care for people and take care of them as a clinician. And so that's really a job that needs to be done by somebody completely separate, and that is their job, but that's not required in a nursing facility in the same way. Now, I will say that the regulations change, so they say, well, you need to have somebody that is technically considered the infection preventionist in your facility. It needs to be somebody who's technically part-time in that facility. It could be pretty much anybody and they just need to take a little web-based course and they'll be considered the infection preventionist. That so standard, it could just could be the person that Swiffer's mom's... It could be. ...mom's apartment. That's it. And as long as they do their little dusting thing, they could say, all right, it's clean and that's it and check off the box. It could be. It's usually left... It's usually designated Ooh. to 
again, the director of nursing or the assistant director of nursing, who they are, their their hands are full with doing clinical care and caring for patients. So and residents, so they really that's probably they they're giving that job that's a whole full time job to somebody who's already overworked. And so that's why you do see this exodus. Yeah, probably somebody in housekeeping, right? <laughs> you, you know, yeah. you see a lot of exodus with these yeah. uh, ADONs or DONs, these nursing uh, that are leaving because they're like, this is just, you know, we're, we're being asked to do two jobs. Burned out. Right, we can't do it. As people consider taking their mom or dad or signing them up into a, a care facility, and, and I'm actually even thinking discharge from a hospital. So we know the hospitals are supposed to be sanitary and clean. Yet even the doctors and the nurses say that there's there's only so much protection they could provide, right? You know, there's you've got the little dispensers outside of every room, so you've got the hand sanitizer. Well, you know, that's great. That started with I think that was um, Atwal Gawande who did the checklist manifesto at some point or somewhere along the line, who said you have to figure out how quickly you can prevent any kind of spread of disease or infection, both in an operating room and in hospitals. And one of the things I did was a checklist as to hand sanitizers out the side of the room or how people were washing before an operation, which was kind of interesting. And if you don't know about it, there is that book. I'll put up the link to that book. It's called The Checklist Manifesto. It's kind of a boring read, but it's kind of fascinating to see how it got to this point. But like even, even rehab facilities are an issue. And that's where you leave the hospital or somebody leaves the hospital to get better. But there's still like open wounds and things that are going on. They can't get out of bed. There's and they don't have to comply to the same thing that a hospital does because they're not a hospital. Is that correct? Uh, it depends on where the facility is located. And it's really going to depend on several factors, their patient population. But usually what you do see in a nursing facility is you will see the rehab side and then you see the long term care side. So they are required to be to have the same standards. So I mean, I know we we stress a lot about hand hygiene and everything, but really that is a, that is a good that is a little red flag. For example, I've gone to facilities that they have the hand they do have hand sanitizers right outside the door, but they're like way up here, like nobody's using them, nobody's. So if you're if you're four nine, you're not going to be able to reach. Well, I mean, it. you don't you know <laughs> it just becomes something you don't even see. It's so high, you know. It's just not oh. you know one of the things you just talked about was. The way we become habitual in doing certain tasks when it comes to patient safety, that human engineering, how do we get people to do things? It's just an automatic thing. And one of the things that is important is where you place those hand sanitizers. If you're placing them away over here, yeah, yeah, you know, very top three feet above where people would normally reach your hands, no one's going to use mm-hmm. those. No one's going to use those. So that things like that, you need to just kind of keep an eye on. Is there just something that doesn't make sense? And always feel free to ask. I mean, I, I've talked to so many residents and families who they have a concern, but they're they're always hesitant. They're uh, they're, they're afraid. afraid. They're yep. you know they're always afraid that something. If I bring something up, then for example, they might really like a caretaker. They really like their CNA, but they're like, I notice she doesn't wash her hands. I don't want to say anything. Um, and that's why it is important to just from the get go make sure that the facility has something in place like. If we see these things, how can we bring it up? Do they have, they really should, it's a regulation, they should have some kind of way for residents and families to put input, even if it is anonymous. So I know that you can check out safety records of care facilities and hospitals and whatnot through uh, cms.gov, you know, through the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid. But can you actually check their 
infection control records as well there. I, I, I don't know. Is that something that they record and say this one didn't pass that or right. this one is dirtier than that one? This one doesn't have an infection control person? They do. Yeah. So if you go to nursinghomecompare.gov, they do rate uh-huh. different quality measures and they will look, you know, you, they have that star rating. You look and they'll give. But this is just for nursing homes. Right. We're not talking about anybody else because they have a federal regulation. Regu- federal regulation oversight. Ooh, I'm having a tough lip- time with my lips today. <laughs> yeah. So for nursing homes, that is true. It's there. But really, you should be able to ask, and even an assisted living facility, say, how is this process done? Everybody should have a quality committee where they're saying, how can we make sure we're ensuring the quality of care in this nursing home and or assisted living? How are we doing this? That is really something that is required for both of those. So uh, if you as a resident or family don't feel comfortable saying that, bringing that up, this is where it's important to have a resident council and a family council Ooh. and say, okay, maybe if, you know, maybe if it's not just me isolated saying that, but we as a group as residents or we as a group and family council are bringing this to the attention and administrators that's what's important, you know, being able to do that. So another thing that's why I always stress is have a family council, have a resident council. These are where these things really begin to take momentum and say, it's not just me. It's not just my mom. It's not just my dad. It's really, we're seeing this as an ongoing pattern. And, and being clear that we know that, you know, the point isn't to say this person did that or this caretaker didn't do this or that. I yeah. mean, you know, it's really to say we're seeing an overall bigger issue in this nursing home or this assisted living. How can we move forward to make sure we're trying to resolve it? So that's also very important to be able to voice your concerns, at, you know, again, individually, but in a, as a group. You know, that's a really good point. When I hear about resident councils, <laughs> the ones, the facilities that my folks were in, the resident councils were like, do we have a bar? Uh, what kind of meals do we have? Do we not like? What's the entertainment? And that's it. That was pro- predominantly, you know, I say, you know, the care and feeding of the animals. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but that's kind of the mentality that some of these places have, right? You've got residents and they don't think of them as customers, as family. And that's not true of all cases, but but in a lot of them, especially, they're big factories. And I would probably be the person who who uh, did a, a, a picture and laminated of a pig and would say, don't be a pig, wash your hands and stick it on mom and dad's door or something like that. So I I would be the rabble rouser, but I'm not sure how good that would Well, work. and you know, and I think sometimes what the issue is, is that again, facilities sometimes will have caretakers that have been there for a long time and or yep. or you know they want to keep that consistency so they don't want to say anything about they like I don't want to complain because I'm just going to say a random name you know Emily's a great CNA and she takes such good care of my mom um but you know these are just the little things I've noticed so they're always hesitant um to say these things and so again that's why you know you have to think of it as we're not going to say one specific person because if Emily's not doing it I guarantee you neither are the other everybody yeah, else ever, it's an it's a bigger problem it's not usually just that one person so to approach it that way yeah and I think you can bring things up from an empathetic perspective but also being firm so there's a delicate balance I wouldn't even see there's a delicate balance there's a there's a real line there to say you know whether you're being an obnoxious you know SOB kind of thing versus and insisting versus saying, these are some things that I've noticed, you know, I'd like to make some suggestions. How are we going to follow up on it? I think that's probably a really good idea 
to say, not only do you make the recommendation or you've noticed things, but I will be following up on such and such a date. I'd like to hear what your report is. Everybody, I don't care whether you're in the medical field, in a regular business environment, or even at home with your kids doing homework, if there isn't a deadline for getting something done when somebody's going to be held accountable for it, then it doesn't get done because there's there's no sense of responsibility or urgency. Right. And that's something that I would think would be really good for people, especially families, saying, if if I see this, I will make somebody aware of it, the higher up the better, somebody who's responsible, and then just saying, I'm going to follow up on this point on this day, and I'd like to know what's going for. And they may say, well, you're not my boss. Like, well, hell, yeah, I am. I'm paying the bill. Of course I'm your boss. <laughs> I'm the customer. And when it, you know, when it comes to it. nursing facilities in particular, they really, that resident council is, that is really the perfect time to bring that up. Because if it be, you bring up a complaint, the resident council is required by law to have somebody who is going to resolve that complaint in a timely fashion. That is a requirement to uh. do that. So um, that is really important. But I mean, there's also, I, I mean, this is another difference between assisted living and nursing facilities and hospitals is hospitals have been dealing with this problem for a while in terms of, I don't want to bring right. up my, you know, I like my nurses. I like my doctors. I don't want to make them feel weird. How do I bring this up without seeing like I'm I'm just being against them in any way. So they've developed a lot of things. So for sure. example, in hospitals, um, I've seen programs where they say, well, instead of saying, hey, did you wash your hands? They will have a little symbol. They'll, they'll do like a high five or they do, they, they've all come together with like, hey, we're gonna do a little symbol or we're gonna do something fun or cute or something like that. So it doesn't feel like I'm telling you, did you wash your hands? So. They try to keep things like, hey, I'm not I'm not pointing you out in particular. I know this is an ongoing issue with everybody. And we all constantly have to be reminded. So they will do things like, hey, if somebody walks in and they hold, hold up their hand. That's their way of telling you, hey, you forgot to scrub in. You know, you forgot to do hand hygiene before you came in. Okay. Um, or, you know, and sometimes it's helpful, too, with, you know, with some residents that are they have a hard time articulating things if they do certain symbols like mm-hmm. point to their nose or they do hold up their hands it's it's easier it's an easier way to just remind people so but really this is something that this is why it's so important to have that quality both assisted living and nursing homes they should have some type of quality counsel that says hey how are we ensuring that good quality care is happening in this facility in this in this nursing home, and they are supposed to be reviewing that kind of information. And if your loved one is in the nursing facility, that is fair to ask. Like, what is what is it routinely being done for quality? What is happening in terms of quality? How are you making sure it's improving? That's something that is a requirement in a nursing home. Oh, interesting. And in particular, for yeah, ner- it's both for infection control, but all sorts of things. Things that you you know delays in care. You know, the call button issue. That's a never-ending issue. Is you know, mom keeps pressing the call button. They say nobody's coming. Yep. Um, how is the facility looking at this as a problem and and trying to fix it in a systematic way? Got it. You know, one of the things I had read a while back on getting doctors, especially this is related to doctors in a hospital, to comply early on with the idea of washing their hands for a certain period of time before doing an operation or procedure or going into a room was they looked at the different trigger points or the questions that they would ask that would get somebody to comply to do so. And they talked about, do this because it's good for you and you'll be safe, Dr. Dr. Smith or Dr. Jones. 
And then they said, well, do it because it's it's the right thing to do. And I think the third option was something like, do it because it means better quality of life and health for your patient. And they thought that the response for doing it for yourself, the doctor, your personal hygiene and safety would be number one. It wasn't. It was actually the interest and the concern of the professional for their patient safety that got them to comply, which I thought was fascinating because typically as individuals, we think about self-preservation first. But for the medical community, well, I guess it's for some, not for all doctors. <laughs> it was, how do I make sure that my patient is going to be safe and stay healthy and well? And that was that was a rather interesting eye-opener. So um, good good things. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think in general even, I've dealt with great CNAs and I've dealt some, with some that are not so great or nurses as well. Uh, but I think for the most part, people go into taking care of others because they want to take care of other people. And so sometimes there's just a lack of awareness of, hey, this is what I should be doing for to prevent infections. But sometimes it's just out of habit. They don't they didn't think about it or, you know, we all get distracted yeah. in what we're doing. And they're like, oh, I got to get this for this resident. And I'm taking care of this resident. And I see the call. And they just don't think about it. It is just a reminder like, hey, this is just for the quality of really the community. It's for both residents, families and yourself as well. You know, I think when nursing communities and assisted living facilities that are very successful and people are happy, the people who work there, the families and the residents are happy, they have really good communication. They do see it as a community like we're all in this together to make sure we're all going to be happy and we're going to keep everybody the quality care for the residents, the families, but also the staff high. And so it's always kind of a good balance because I think if we, we do think like, oh, it's just the staff, the staff don't do this and the staff don't do that, then you're going to get in this just a never ending circle of hierarchical, I told you so, right, you know, right. who's high on the totem pole kind of thing. Yeah. And that doesn't work that well. No. And nobody likes to work with a group of people who are like that, where there's not a sense of camaraderie to also do well, but also do good at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so I think that it is important for people to balance that out. Like if, if you're going to bring up in a resident council, like, you know, there's these issues with cleaning, there's these issues with the call light. It's also important to say, you know what, we're going to highlight a specific care worker who they go above and beyond. They're always here for my mom. Yeah. They bring up those things, those little things. They know my mom so well. They bring up those little things like, you know what, your mom usually does this. But today and the next couple of days, she hasn't been doing that. So I think something's going on. Now, those things are really important when it comes to infection, because as we get older, the signs and symptoms that we have, they, they're a little bit different. Yeah. So like when we're younger, we may get fevers, um, we can cough, we do all these things. When we get older, it's not that you don't see the same typical symptoms when somebody gets an infection. Fevers, you almost half half of elderly people don't have a fever 100 or more. Really? Yeah, that's very typical. So sometimes there'll be very minor changes in temperature, like 99, very minor. But what you usually tend to see, especially with frail older adults, is um, there's confusion. Uh -huh. They're not eating as much. They're not going to the bathroom as much. Falls is sometimes an indication. that Depression. Yeah, those things are usually signs of infection that are very different from us when we're younger. And so it's still... You know, those, it's very important to have that good relationship with those care workers because they will see those little things mm. and that is will help you. Because really, when we talk about infections, pneumonias are big, urinary tract infections are big. And again, people don't, older people don't have the typical signs and symptoms. So 
you as family have to be aware of those minor things, but also your workers. And that's why it's good to, you know, bring them up because, again, you want to make sure that they're doing high quality work, but also want to make sure that you are building um, building them up in terms of the work that they do, the things that they do right, not just the things that they do wrong. That's very important. Right. You know, the relationship, quite often you're not allowed to give a tip, a financial tip, but there are ways to say thank you, many other options. But I like the fact that you brought up the option that infection is not necessarily a wound or a sore or something that comes up. It really can be a lung infection that people may say, eh, you know, I'm a little off, or my in-laws would always say, don't worry about me, right. I'm yeah. fine. I remember my father-in-law one day telling my, my husband like two weeks later that he had had like a quadruple bypass. Like, why didn't you tell us? Right, yeah. I didn't right. want to worry you. Everything is just fine. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You know, you kids go about your life, right? Whatever it is. And, and you don't want to worry your family. But you're right. It's those subtle little changes in just the daily habits, like sleeping in too long or not wanting to really drink water or eat or the depression or sitting in the dark. Right. It's really fascinating to see those tiny little changes that, especially if they're in a facility, we're not there right. every day. We don't notice it. it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So creating relationship with, with the staff, not so much the nurse, but the people who are doing the hands-on care from from the people who are cleaning the room, it was, you know, it was, the, it was the gals who cleaned my mom's room and dad's room who pulled me aside when I came to visit them from up north down here in Florida. And they pulled me aside, Miss Nancy, we want you to know what's going on because we know you care. And they actually said that because they could see, you know, how my dad lit up when they got letters or mom got, you know, notes and which I did very regularly or calls and they would talk about us. But when they didn't, they knew that something right. was off or something was going on. And so they made sure that I knew which I was highly grateful for. So just because somebody's a nurse doesn't necessarily mean they're the ones in charge. Really consider the ones that are just literally going around with the Swiffer because they know what's going on and they've got numbers to hit, but that's it. Exactly. You know, I want to sort of wrap this up here because there's there's so much we can do and I will put a ton of information in the show notes, links to where you can get the connections to where to do your research, how to do it, to Diana's information, which I think is highly critical and, and helpful to us. Because there's so much that we have on our plate as caregivers, whether we're hands-on care, long-distance care, POA, medical director, financial director, it doesn't matter what it is. We want to make sure that those that we love and oversee, be it a parent, a spouse, a partner, a, a sibling, even a guardian, an adult child that you're a guardian of, we want to make sure that they're safe because our lives will also be easier and more joyful at the same time. Right. Yeah. So the top three things I would say from what I hear and, and correct me and, and add in is make sure that not only that you clean, but you disinfect is critical. That's, yeah. Correct. That's, that's being done. Right. Keep an eye on things. If you see something, say something is the old adage is if you are suspicious that something's a little grimy or not worried, you're concerned about it. Say something. Speak up and make sure there's a deadline to make action and watch and see what's happening. And then three. Really watch for the subtle changes in people because infection is not something that's like this big hairy green monster that all of a sudden bumps out and, and can happen. And now, you know, mom or dad has fallen ill and they're in the hospital. It can slowly creep up and be happening for a long period of time. You don't even know that it's right. there until yep. it becomes truly life threatening. Yeah, definitely. And, and when you get older, we all know. 
people say, oh, it's just part of being older. This is just part of getting older. It's like, no, no, no that's not. <laughs> yes, it's not. <laughs> you know, very different from like, for example, my 14 year old, she gets a little cough and she thinks it's the end of the world because she's used to oh, wonderful mom, health. Healthy. Right. But as we get older, we're like, this part of being older. We I want to attribute everything to being older, but that that's not, <laughs> not necessarily the case. Are there any other little things that quick tips that you could add to those top three things that you think would be helpful other than oh, also the family council or or the residence council. But again, I say, you know, those are totally worthless unless there's accountability, period. Right. The very last thing that I just remembered, my my thought came right back to me was refuse was refusal. <laughs> you know, sometimes what people will get put on antibiotics or they'll put, get put on a urinary catheter because they're like, you know what, let's just do this. This is going to be easiest for everybody. Let's just do this. It is completely the right of the resident and a family member to say, you know what, we're refusing that. For example, what we'll see with urinary tract infections is mom and dad don't have any signs and symptoms. They found a little bacteria in their urine and they just want to put them on an antibiotic. Ooh. Refusal is is definitely an option to say, why are we doing this? Um, if it if it's, doesn't make sense, we're refusing to do this. We're not just going to put mom on a catheter that's going to uh, increase her likelihood of getting infection to, for convenience. Well, for your example. body can become very resistant to antibiotics over time Absolutely. You know, because they get Absolutely. stronger and stronger and stronger. And then the and the infection or germs tend to, I don't say mutate, but they, they probably adopt because I'm not an epidemiologist. I don't know the exact fact. They evolve. They evolve and they will definitely, We they do, they pick up resistance. And hey, bacteria, they they communicate and they do We've that. seen that with COVID, although that was a virus, I think. Right. Like yeah, that. that was a virus. But both, you know, they, they do change. So, you know, that refusal is very important. And just making sure that overall we're keeping the dignity and the choice for residents uh, and people in general. I think sometimes that gets lost with some of these infection control measures. Are we making sure that we are, we talked about maybe, I think you mentioned the introduction is person-centered care. Are we giving people choice and are we really making sure that if we're saying, you know, mom has to be in her room because she has infection, what activities are they still doing? How are we making sure the overall quality of that person's life is being maintained while we're trying to prevent infections? It's not one or the other. It really needs to be both. Yep. And it's not just the resident we have to worry about. It's everybody who's working at the facility, too, and, and not just surfaces because people get sick. And I've seen a number of people who I know, friends who are working in the healthcare industry who are going to work sick because they get they get paid to be there. So that's something that we have to watch out for as well. That's true. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, Diana. This has been terrific. There's, I know there's so much more that we can look at. And I think it just comes down to the old, the old common sense rules. They yeah. said, was it cleanliness is next to godliness? Or is it like, as I said, well, so I'm, I'm not so godly. Maybe I'm just a Hail Mary or a pass through. But <laughs> at least... From my perspective, I you know I got the job done. We did a great job with mom and dad, and their their home. Once we got them into their home again, smelled great. Every time I came in, I knew it was clean. And thankfully, our our team of of six aides were like everybody. And nobody was hired unless they were OCD on something that was positive. So <laughs> yeah, so maybe <laughs> it might be a prerequisite. <laughs> maybe we'll talk about the three C's here. It'll be what. Cleanly, uh, cleanliness is important. Communication and having good choice uh, is important and all those things for sure. An organization, if you see somebody who's sloppy and unorganized and you kind of think that maybe what else is going on. So yeah. thanks again. This has been terrific. I really appreciate your time and, and all that you're doing to help educate people on this and, and keeping things on the forefront. So this is it for Elder Care Success, at least this show. And there's one thing I kind of want to spread. 
So the one thing I'd like to spread is that there's a really easy way to share a gift of love and concern and care for people. And that's real simple. It doesn't cost a dime. It's just sharing a link to this show. So maybe we should go viral. At that case, I hope that you do the same for your friends and your family and your loved ones. Keep it clean, keep it safe, and share a link. That's it. I'll see you soon. Or we'll hear you soon. It's Nancy May from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021 Caremanity LLC.